we were talking about bigs and he was saying he'd give anything to see a woman win that and i think that that's what i told him when i was done i was like remember you said that like i said that's what clicked in my head after barclay since i had such a terrible barclay i was like wow i sure didn't prove myself that i belong here so i was like all right i'm gonna focus on bigs and i'm gonna win that and then i'll sh- i'll give laz you know the woman victory that he wanted that's maggie Gutterall. And this is the Inspirational Runners Podcast. Hey everyone, hope all is well. My name is Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. We have another awesome episode for you this week. Maggie Guterell from Pennsylvania, who was the first female winner of the Big Dogs Backyard Ultra. We had Lazarus Lake on the podcast last week, who is the mastermind behind this unique event. In fact, Big is the name of his dog, hence the name of the race, which is hosted in his backyard. The race consists of a 4.1666 mile loop on Laz's property in Bellbuckle, Tennessee. They have 16 minutes to complete the loop and to get back on the starting line, ready to go again. Sounds easy, right? Well, how do you think you would feel after 60 loops of non-stop racing? Because that's what it took Maggie to become the world champion of the Backyard Ultra. Two and a half days, 60 hours, 250 miles, frame it whatever way you want. It's an outstanding performance and one that has really catapulted Maggie into the limelight in the world of ultra running. Not that she is new to the sport, competing in many 100 mile races, including two times player of the Barkley Marathon and USA 24 hour competitor. Is it any wonder that she showed the guys how it was done? Before we start, I'd just like to give a huge shout out to our sponsors, Atlas Running. Their next big event is of course, Last One Standing, which is being held in Castle Ward, County Down, Northern Ireland on the 15th of February. This race is going to be bigger and badder than ever before. I'm going to be there. It's going to be awesome. A great opportunity to hit the magical 100 miles in 24 hours. But there's always that small piece of hope that you'll be the last one standing. I don't really want to hold you up any longer. It's with great pleasure I give you Maggie Gutterall. So anyway, thanks for giving up your time today. really appreciate it. I'm sure you're getting bombarded with people asking for interviews, podcasts, all that stuff. All that good stuff, I suppose. Yeah, it slowed down a little. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm only after moving all the recording gear into my 12-year-old um, son's bedroom. He wasn't happy with that at all, but I just told him, like, <laughs> you know, Maggie Gooderall is in your bedroom. This should be the happiest day of your life. <laughs> See, just before we start, where did the name Magatron come from? Is that a thing? Um, my friend made that up, one of my friends who doesn't run, um, a while ago. And when I started ultra running i didn't have any ultra running friends so that she made it up because she thought i was like a robot (laughs) yeah so it's just that same ethos really it's like when i'm in work and people you get a bit embarrassed telling them what you're really doing you sort of tame it down a little bit yeah you know that 80 mile run is really they just tell them it's a 40 mile run just because you they think you're crazy just doing 40 miles let alone 100 yeah 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 try not to well I mean, I guess when you start, you're like, oh, I did this. It's so cool. And now you're just like, uh, I don't want to tell you I ran 100 miles because you're just going to say I don't like to drive that far. <laughs> How long have you been running for? Because you haven't done it like throughout your life, have you? Um, no, I started, I ran my first marathon in 2009 and then my first ultra in 2011. Okay, it wasn't that so, long ago then. Yeah, no, like a decade, barely. <laughs> yeah, so what were you doing before 2009? Just partying the bit out or enjoying life? Yep, <laughs> basically a little too much. <laughs> As we all did. Um, what yeah. what made you then sign up for the first marathon? Um, I don't know. I me and my friend kind of signed up for one 
in 2008. And then I just kind of never really did the training. Um, but that in 2009, I was really like pretty dead set on it. And, uh, it was the Philly marathon. So I thought it would be appropriate and, uh, it was super fun. Uh, a really good first time course. Uh, and I, my goal was to qualify for the Boston marathon. So that was like, so I at least had like a time goal. Um, yeah. So and what was the time for the Boston at that age group? Uh, yeah. I mean, back then I think it was like three forty or three thirty-five, and I forget. No, I was three forty because it's since dropped a lot. And I ran a three thirty because I thought that would be like a safe cushion. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, well now I'm like in a different age group, I think 30, I'm 39. Yeah. What, so. what was the training like on your first marathon then? Like, cause I know my first marathon, cause I was a bit of a party animal as well. You know, I was waking up after that, a heavy session drinking and going out and punishing myself <laughs> doing 12 to 15 miles. Was that your? Yeah. Um, well that was, so 2007 was when me and my friend decided to do a 10 mile run. So that was like, kind of like the training for my 10, the, 10 mile run in Philly that I did. Um, and same going into 2008, which is why I kind of was like, nah, screw this. But yeah, 17 mile run, you know, completely dehydrated, tired. <laughs> You're doing it at two, two in the afternoon, which is a terrible time to do it. And what type of mistakes sort of did you, were you making? Like, do you know about sort of running shoes or any sort of training? I remember I got a pair of Nike Air. Um, I got them for like 20 quid reduced from a hundred pound i got a flat tire on my longest run with them with the air max actually yeah. exploded oh wow um because <laughs> you don't really have a clue when you're going into your first marathon and what to do yeah no i well so nutrition wasn't like the best um i didn't really know what i was doing but luckily like it's short enough distance for me that time that it wasn't detrimental um but uh, yeah, I definitely was chugged Gatorade at one point and had like terrible side stitches. Um, now I don't touch Gatorade, but and shoe wise, like I think I did okay with shoes because I, I kind of like ran off and on in, in, in college and after college and I'd run like 10 miles randomly off and on you know, in just like the Saucony jazz, <laughs> you know, they're like meant for fashion shoes. I thought they were running shoes and the back of my heel would be bleeding. And, um, I didn't realize you, you know, you had to have a half size bigger usually for running shoes. So, I mean, by then I had okay shoes. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and then even in 2009, like now the running shoes like look pretty cool, but even in 2009, there are those chunky, like white Asics that look like, they're just ugly. <laughs> what what type of experience was it then? Your first marathon? Did you enjoy it? Did you cross the line and say, "I'm never doing that again"? Um, yeah, I was both. So, <laughs> I I like in mile 17, I was like, you know, after chugging Gatorade and getting side stitches, I was like, oh, this is probably all, you know, this will be my only time. This is pretty terrible. But you know, the whole experience and after you're done is kind of like, oh, that was amazing you know how it goes and you forget all the bad parts and then you know you go sign up for another one or something yeah so you got you got that right from the off then did you you know the real adrenaline kick at the end of it were you totally exhausted finishing yeah. it or obviously you are tired oh, yeah. like but um like mentally fatigued like did you really hit dark places and having to push on when you hit that wall around 20 22 miles yeah i never i never felt like i mean after the side stitches type of thing i never felt like 
I felt like after like 20 something, I got stronger. I had my rough patches between, you know, the 15 to 18 or 19 miles. Um, and for a long time, that was my marathon tough part. It was always like that middle part. Uh, 20 to 26, you know, it was great uh, usually. But yeah, walking home, because yeah, I lived in Philadelphia at the time. So uh, walking home, I, I could barely walk. I was like, how do people do this? <laughs> uh, but I definitely wanted to sign up for another one when I was done. The cowboy walk um, coming downstairs the next day is pretty fun. Like, No. Yeah. It's, it's pretty strange yeah. how your body adapts to that though, isn't it? I know it is. Yeah. Because now I walk, maybe sometimes I'll finish a hundred miler and that'll be like how I walked after a marathon. But after, well, you know, to be honest, a road, hard road marathon is very hard and it's tough on your body. And I haven't won, ran one of those in a while, but like, you know, running like a 50 mile trail run, you're okay the next day, you know, after <laughs> it's just so weird. Do you find your body sort of I don't want to say easier on your body, but your body adapts better to those sort of longer runs. Yeah. No, it's definitely pretty hard at the beginning when you do your first 17-mile run, your first 20-mile run. Now that's just like a normal thing. But yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really crazy. So, so it is one thing running a marathon. And back around 10 years ago, it was a real big thing. More and more people were getting exposed that they could actually run a marathon. Um, what made you jump? Like you jumped, was it to an ultra or a 24 hour race next? Yeah, it was a 24 hour race. I honestly would have done it the next year. Um, so 2009 is my first, I would have done it in 2010, but a friend talked me out of it. Um, like, don't do that. Don't do friends. that. That's crazy. Yeah, shit. He said he, right. He said he knew a friend who ran an ultra and can't run anymore and stuff. So I was like, Oh, I don't want that to happen to me. And, and then I was like, well, there's other people who do it. There's got to be like, you know, whatever. So I made my goal 100 miles at this 24-hour race because I didn't really know any other races, really. Did you did um, you watch any 24-hour races before that? Um, Yeah, no, not really. I mean, I read some books. I read Dean Carnass's book on Midnight the Marathon. What's that book called? You know, the Yeah, the Ultra Marathon the book, Man. Uh, Yes, that one. Thank you. <laughs> I remember. I remember. Uh, I was injured at the time, and I read the book, and I got up on Boxing Morning, um, Boxing Day Morning, and my wife says, "Where are you going?" I goes, "I'm away to run a marathon." <laughs> she just looked at me like you're crazy, but just that was the effect <laughs> that book had on me. Now it was a slow yeah. marathon, but I still ran a marathon that day. Just there was just a different mindset yeah. after reading the book. Yeah, I think that had, that book had an effect on a lot of people. You know, say what people want about Dean and whatever but i think he inspired a lot of people to go <laughs> just do stupid stuff so <laughs> yeah it was good good exposure to that type of running world like so 24 hour race um obviously you, but you're actually quite because you're a modest marathon runner when i say modest like my t my i'm around a sub 330 marathon sort of time mm -hmm. and like you tried for 100 miles in your 24 hours. That's, you know, that's a real target for ultra runners is getting 100 miles in the 24 hours. But you absolutely smashed that, didn't you? Uh, not quite. I got 97 miles. And I probably, yeah, after 26 miles worth of running, I was just puking everywhere. Um, the nutrition was, it, so it's in, so Philadelphia in July is so humid and hot. It, and this is around an exposed eight and a half mile loop in the middle of the city. So, you know, the heat index is pretty much like a hundred, you know, mid nineties to a hundred. And then you add humidity and like, I had no idea what I was doing. So I was puking the whole time and I was able to rally at night. Um, 
after friends spoon feeding me chicken soup and made it to 97. Um, so I don't think I smashed that, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I clawed my way. What, what is it about miles. women ultra runners that can manage just to throw up all over the place and just keep on going? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> is it like men? I don't, well, from my perspective anyway, you know, I can, I can suffer when my stomach goes bad. Um, but you, when yeah. you see the likes of yourself and Courtney as well, I've seen so many videos of Courtney. <laughs> she just seems to throw up and keep going. Mm, yeah, I think there's a lot of guys that can do that too. I, I don't know. Sometimes it's sometimes it's different. I mean, sometimes you just you're just so sick that you can't get any calories in, and eventually you're just in this perpetual bonk. Um, whereas, like sometimes you're like, oh, I feel better, and you can keep going. So it it depends, I guess. Yeah, it passes. Ninety-seven miles. How did that feel then? Frustrating. Oh, I was like, I I don't know that. I, my legs, like they swelled up so much. I could barely walk. I stayed in bed for like two days. Um, I, I feel like, so I went back the next year cause I was like, I got to try this again after it. But, but I figured like eventually the recovery would be easier. Um, so the, the, the training for this one, I, I actually did. Um, I think I did two fifty milers, uh, leading up to it, maybe a trail one and a road one. Um, and then, my legs, I ran 110 miles this attempt, but my legs were even worse the second time. And I was like, what they, I, I think I had some kind of almost compartment syndrome. My legs were so fat and it felt like there were tourniquets all over them. Um, and again, I stayed in bed for like two days and I was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Um, and then I think I went, so it was the third year I signed up again, this time it was canceled. Um, because of the heat. So the city of Philadelphia wouldn't allow them to hold it. So that's where I found my first trail 100. Um, so I went to upstate Pennsylvania and ran on a trail and that was pretty awesome. <laughs> hey, did you find that more enjoyable than a, a sort of a loop 24 hour? Um, no, not really. I mean, it was still pretty boring course cause it was an out and back on like a rail trail. So it was like trail surface sort of, but it was pretty boring. Um, but I, I mean, I enjoyed both at the time, the loop and that. Um, I think I would be more bored by it now because I've run some really cool trails. Yeah. Do you think that, did you think that makes, makes a difference to you? Like, you know, I love A, a to B courses and I like not seeing them. I like seeing them for the first mm -hmm. time on the race because it makes it yeah. easier for me mentally just to enjoy the race rather than staying focused on the process of just running loop after loop. Um, yeah. Do you find that you can work either just as good or do you prefer the likes of an A to B course? Yeah. I mean, mentally going into it, if you know you're going to run a loop, it's easier to like be like, okay, it's broken down. So sometimes that's more manageable for me. But then again, yeah, sometimes I like to go in and be like, I'm not going to see this part again. So everything's going to be new. Um, at the same time, sometimes that's more daunting because you feel like you've gone farther. Whereas if you're in a loop, you really don't even realize how far you've actually gone. So, I mean, I think they're both kind of cool. Yeah, what, what, what was your aim then? Because running a hundred miles and next year on another hundred miles, like, was it just the miles or did you have any other aspirations back then? Um, yeah. So my third attempt, I was like, I wanted to try to qualify for the USA team, but I didn't think I'd actually qualify. I wanted to just hit that mark. I think it was like, I don't know what it was, but I think it was 125 back then, which is crazy. You would never make the team with 125. 
so I think that was my goal and I made my goal like 126 or something. I don't know. Um, and then it was canceled and I ran that trail 100 instead. And I ran a 26 hour trail 100. Um, I think it was 26. So that proved that I was like, well, I obviously wasn't in shape to run a one whatever or or I went out too fast or I did something wrong or trail is a whole different ball game. So that was like a huge learning experience and like wake up call too. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. So when was it then you actually qualified for the USA team? Um, so let's see that first trail marathon would have been 2013. So then 2014 in November, that following fall was when I qualified for the team in, in New Jersey one day. Um, and that was like a one mile loop. Yeah, pavement loop. That that was quite a short period of time, though, wasn't it? Like, what changed? Like, what were the ingredients that you stuck in in there? Like, to go from um, a, like a three thirty sort of marathon to that? Yeah. Uh, well, so that February twenty fourteen, I met my coach Michelle Yates, um, and so my training totally changed. I mean, I was just running. Uh, you know, I I went on the internet to learn about how to train for ultras and everything said LSD long, slow distance. So I was just doing a 17 miler on Wednesday, a 20 miler on Saturday, a 24 miler on Sunday. And, and there's no variation. I was just running as much as I could. Um, and then she kind of gave me this plan for the first time. And I was like, Oh, this plan is for 45, 50 miles a week. What is this? This is crazy. And then it built up from there, but there was speed work and there's strength work. And I was exhausted after two weeks of her training, um, but I was running less miles and, but I was getting faster and, and stronger and, and, and definitely made a difference. So by November, after training with her for like you know 10 months, I, I, I was improved a lot. More quality then over sort of quantity. Yeah. I think that's like a, a new, yeah, I feel like back then maybe like that's what people said, you got to run a lot of miles, right? And I think everyone's kind of accepted that like quality is better. And what about your nutrition and recovery and things like that? Do you have to adapt everything like your sort of sleep patterns and things like that when you're... Yeah, well, yeah, she is a more like, a, she has a holistic approach to coaching. So she gave me a new kind of like, this is, you know, type of what, a, you know, like a good diet might look like. And this is, you need to recovery right after you need to eat right after or you need, you know, this and whatever. Um, so that's, you know, I made that part of it. And so instead of just focusing on running, like, you know, I did that, um, sleep, you know, obviously you need more sleep cause you're just tired. <laughs> what distance run then for that race? Uh, oh, at New Jersey one day, one forty-two. Wow, that was phenomenal. Like, was that a huge shock to you at that time? Like, or did you have good indicators that was going to uh, happen? I kind of, yeah, that was that first race that I went into where I had in the back of my mind that I know I can do this. Um, I kind of was telling everybody that one thirty-six was my goal because that was, I think, the very that was the qualifying mark or just above, but kind of what would make you get on the team was like 136 but in my mind I had 142 as like my my upper goal um so I kind of like I, I decided even pacing was like the best way to go even though that's what I mean I don't know if you know Bob Hearn the ultra runner Bob Hearn um he likes to kind of analyze what he thinks would be 
the best approach to the 24 hour. And he was all about even pacing or a negative split kind of type. Um, and like, you know, most world, I mean, Camille was not <laughs> that at all. So, you know, it works for different people and, you know, I've never run a world record, but yeah, I was able to do pretty much even pacing the whole time. Um, so, but yeah, I don't know if I would approach it like that again. I don't what, know. What type of, it, what type of strategy do you use then? Like, cause, uh, we have, a tw quite a lot of 24 hour events now in Ireland. There's actually one next yeah. weekend. They're sort of popping up all over the place. And they're great uh -huh. events because people turn up to do a certain distance and really just blow their minds how far they actually go. And um, there's a real good buzz about it. Like, um, but people sit down, people sleep. Do you think it's key to take rest or do you think you should keep on going or? Yeah, I, well, so I, before that race, I reached out to like a lot of different runners because I just wanted someone to tell me like, is it possible to just run nonstop for 24 hours? And no one kind of like, told me so i reached out to sabrina little you know who had the american record at the time and i was like you know what do you do she's like well you know i just run until i can't or, and so i was like okay well maybe i can possibly run you know because people tell you you need to add walking in or whatever and i was like let me just run let me just run this pace until i can't and see what happens and so i just did that um and you know uh, I didn't stop. My friend was timing my pee breaks because <laughs> there was like a bathroom there and he's like, you pee on the loop. And I was like, well, you know, the bathroom's right here. I could just run in real quick. And like, <laughs> so it was pretty quick. And I, I had good help from my friends who were helping crew to keep it down. So I like literally never stopped except for maybe to drink something really quick. It's pretty unique the way you said your goal there is 142. It seems to be that like, like how how much of it is physical and how much of it is mental? Because you go in with this very clear sort of mindset of what you want to achieve. And it sounds like quite often you get there. Yeah, uh, well, um, the physical part has to be there if the mental part is, is you know, so like, because I've definitely tried to be like, trick myself, <laughs> you know, in other races where I was less prepared and just kind of get in the mindset and then your body's like, no, screw you. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, it's 50-50 maybe later on in the race if that physical part's there, it becomes more mental. Do you think it gets harder after that goal, though? Because, like, I've gone into some races with real soft goals, and I hit that soft goal, um, and never went any quicker. Because um, when I've used races as training races, for example, um, mm -hmm. like, when you hit 142, do you find then you sort of, you know, it would be hard. it would be harder to push out an extra three or four miles after that? Um, yeah, so that one I ran out of time. I, I felt like I pushed as hard as I could to get to 142 in the in the first place. Um, like it actually helped me. My friend, uh, a friend, was running this race as well. Her name was Sky Knaves, and she also made the team. Um, but like when I went into it, I kind of like it's just, it's a friendly competition, but at the same time, I was like, well, this is my race. I'm like, this is what I was thinking the whole time. And she lapped me six times. So at, at a point she had six miles up on me. So I thought at a point I was like, okay, we're going to maintain until we get to here. And then you're just going to pass her back six more times. <laughs> so like that, she ran 136 and I ran 142. So I ended up doing that. So I think that little goal kind of had helped me motivate and like maybe without her I wouldn't have been able to do that because like I would have been like oh I'm running 
138. This is great. Like, why do I need to run more? Um, and and with that race, it's a one mile loop, and one there's no partial loops, so like I didn't have time to run any anymore. So the, the goal is key to pull you. Like it sort of draws you towards that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And 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 I try to make goals in races where there where I maybe almost can't achieve it, <laughs> so that yeah, you don't run into that. Because yeah, I I've run into the same thing where you know, like you think you've done a good, good enough job in a race and you don't need to like push any harder. It's like, yeah. it's like with any distance really for me anyway, you know, if I'm running a three mile training run or a 10 mile training run or 30 mile training run, once I come to the end of that run, I can't, I feel I can't run another step, whether it's three miles or 20, 20 miles, mm-hmm. some sort of switch in the mind just, just goes, you've done your job. Like, but it yeah. must have been pretty awesome then back then to get, you know, get that USA vest on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really awesome. <laughs> like, because the team that was around you then, like, did you learn much from that team then and, and during that time? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I was running with Connie Gardner, who's like a legend, and Tracy Falbo, who I'd always looked up to, and all these other runners who had run super fast, like 100 milers. And I was like, wow, this is crazy, and I don't belong here, but here I am. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you seen you done phenomenally, though, didn't you, in that? world championships yeah that was well that was another situation where it's like i gave everything i had but that's because like the you know the team doctors were great i was throwing up um this was the last race <laughs> i've ever had gatorade in uh i was, was puking orange liquid <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, this, this really isn't a good advertisement for gatorade no, by the sorry, way sorry gatorade well i work for tailwind and i've been using yeah, tailwind tailwind's really years. good yeah um <laughs> I mean, have you ever puked up on Tailwind? Uh, no, I haven't actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and so I now know, like, I feel like in 24 hour race, you can use liquid only. Like, obviously, for something big, since so 60 hours, I added in like other food. But um, yeah, the nutrition part seems to be a lot of my problems over the years, other than like the training would be there, but like nutrition, I never just quite figured it out. Um, but, but at that race, like, yeah, that was, that was my big problem the first 12 hours. <laughs> yeah. But you came, did you come fourth? Was it fourth? Yeah, I was. Um, yeah. And our team was first, second, and then Maria Jansen from Sweden was third and I never caught her, but that was cool. I was a big, kind of a surprise, but at the same time, I felt like I could do, I, I, like, I felt like I could do well. Um, I felt like I could have done better had i not been puking the first 12 hours but like it's a 24-hour race that stuff happens um at the same time i think that i hadn't i wouldn't have done that well had my team not had to rely on me because we had no one else and tracy and katie were running great but there was no one else who was running great at that moment so like they you know my friend Otto run for america kind of the, the joke and the motivation at the same time um uh, yeah, and they just kept giving me bib numbers to chase. So I would chase like so-and-so from Poland or whoever. And then they gave me Maria's number, 311, her bib number was. And yeah, and um, they kept telling me like, you're this close to her, you're this close. And then I started to go around and and they stopped telling me how close I was. And I was like, I'm not going to catch her. <laughs> but I was like, just <laughs> run. <laughs> um, you've never looked back then. Obviously, the longer distance is sort of your forte now. You prefer and enjoy that more. Yeah, yeah, it's more of a journey, I feel like. Well, I'm not that fast, too, so, like, a fast 50-miler is, like, you know, I could go do my PR, and I can improve on my time, and I do, like, 
those shorter distances, but uh, I just feel like the bigger ones, it's like, they're just different. Everything's a different experience. Every hundred mile or every hundred, 24 hour or beyond. Yeah. How, how many races have you done up to now? hundred mile races, do you know? Oh, hundred mile races? I don't know. Uh, a lot. Yeah. I mean, under 20, I, um, I would have to add up. I know that I recently counted my marathons and ultras like marathons i think i had uh 30 something marathons but then the rest are ultras and i have 90 something 96 or something um so what, what was your pb in your marathon then there's quite a lot of marathons then sorry you had quite a lot of marathons then so what was your pb oh, or your pr um, 307 i think so yeah it's not like Wow. It's not incredible. No, it's still I'm, a good time, though. Good time, especially when yeah. I suppose you're doing a lot of longer distance running as well. Yeah, we used them all for training. So, yeah, I went. I, I think I could run <laughs> under three if I tried. It's just, it sounds like a really hard 5K. It doesn't sound, it sounds awful. <laughs> it was hard. It is hard to get that balance, though, isn't it? Yeah. Between doing the longer distance and then trying to, I always, like, my pace does not hold with me at all. You know, when I start going long, the pace just disappears behind it. Yeah. And likewise, when I go the other way, when I go short, my endurance goes. So I'm not one of those lucky people. Mm -hmm. There are people out there yeah. <laughs> who sort of have both. Yeah. So last one standing. I apologize for having to talk through this again, like, because I'm sure you've been over and over again <laughs> over this since the race. What What do you know what the race called? Last man standing, last one standing. Yeah. Um... Uh, Big Dog's Backyard Ultra. Yeah. I suppose it's as simple as that, is it? Yeah, I think, what did he put? on the bib this year oh last man on earth is what he put in the bib at the bottom this year <laughs> so wow. it's do you, funny <laughs> do you think do you think you've done that to wind people up oh i don't know every year he switches it up a little bit so but uh <laughs> yeah yeah he likes to to kind of create some i mean he really wanted a woman to to win um but yeah he does like to ruffle some feathers it's fun <laughs> He's a, a very clever guy. Like, but he is. Champ, champion of champions, really. You know, when I, was t I did a podcast, obviously, last week um, with Laz, um, which I hope to release today. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that there's almost 100 affiliated races now around the world. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Since 2012. Yeah, the, um, I was talking to Anna Carlson from Sweden, who was um, one of the, you know, final eight or whatever, uh, final six so she was saying how there's one in um every weekend in sweden they're huge there <laughs> yeah so we have actually one in february here um in castle ward um they do a lot of filming for the game of thrones there so oh. it's quite a unique wee spot <laughs> yeah um and so i'm gonna be a bit selfish now because i meant i'm entered into that race mm -hmm. and listen to the people there seems to be some small specific ingredients going into that race that sort of stands by you it was pretty awesome like when you think about all of the all of the different races around the world you know they've gone through that race and they've had that winner and they've had that golden ticket and now they're arriving at laz's house and you were the very last one standing really and he called it the world championships this year yeah his first one that he made i mean he made this up like it's so funny <laughs> <laughs> um but that is, you know, it's not just the one race. It's all of those races combined coming down just to two people at the end, mm -hmm. really. 
isn't it? Yeah. And to finish to finish that must have felt pretty awesome. Yeah, it did. And and you know, everyone kind of talks about all the amazing people on the roster, like going into it, but they only kind of mention the Americans or the ones who race in America that they know about. And I'm like, no, there's definitely some people on this list that people have no idea. And like Will was one of those people, you know, and obviously you take a really long plane ride to get there. So your motivation, like Katie Wright, you know, she flew halfway around the world. Your motivation is a bit stronger than if you drove from like, I don't know, you know, Pennsylvania. (laughs) So, you know, it, it, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Especially with like the world watches this race now as well. Yeah. Um, the tracker motivates me when I'm doing ultra races now because I know people are watching me. <laughs> it's like you can't pull out at this stage. So you did do you done the race in 2018 as well? Uh, yes, yeah, last year. Yep. Mm-hmm. How did you drop out in that race? Um, How did that come about? Yeah, I started to have IT band issues. I wasn't doing like body maintenance. I was just kind of sitting, and then I would stretch, but like very half-assed stretching. Um, so I think Laz actually saw the compensation or limp kind of start happening before I did because I went back and looked at his stuff later and, you know, he wrote how I looked like I had a peg leg or something. Um, but so I, I went out on my 44th lap or so and, and uh, I couldn't every the, the group pulled away and I couldn't see them anymore. So I'm limping down this hill and I was just kind of sat there and stretched and debated and then I just walked back up the hill and turned in my timing chip um uh and I immediately lay down to take a nap so that was like 183 miles and like getting four more laps in to get to 200 seemed unfathomable so I was just like mm-hmm. and, and it's true once you feel like you can't win like they're like what's the point of going on so that's kind of how the mental part got me too what, what do you think was your biggest mistake in 2018? Um, not stretching from the beginning and just kind of keeping the, because you're stopping and going. For me, that's like the worst thing for my body. So Yeah, so body maintenance then is a key thing yeah. throughout this race. Yeah, that and the caffeine. I started caffeine way too early. I didn't get a good night's sleep the night before. I was exhausted by night one. I was exhausted on day one. Uh, and so I started coffee uh, or caffeine or whatever I was taking um, and I couldn't nap at all and you know i wasn't even trying the first night night. um and then the second night when i would lie down my i would just see 50s cartoons like black and white felix type the cat things and and my brain just wouldn't shut off so i I didn't get any sleep so those are my two biggest mistakes how how did you so obviously that getting experience in these races obviously is going to stand by you the next time around yeah you know that's going to just continue race on race i suppose all your 100 mile races and leading up to that, you're learning all the time about your fuel and your nutrition, how your body can hold up or break down. And your problem solving, I suppose, is going to get easier and easier as you go along. Yeah, there's always new problems to solve, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're like, oh, that's never happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, especially with fuel as well. Like, I, fuel is like a minefield. Something works this time that doesn't work the next time. And it's. Yeah. Sorry, when you mentioned sleep there, um, sorry to jump back. Like, how do you get sleep when, you, when you're doing that course and do that loop? So when yeah. caffeine was impacting your sleep, like, uh, how were you finding room for sleep? Um, well, between each lap, so night you have more time. Um, so I don't know if a lot of the big yard, backyards do this, but Laz's loop is a trail loop than a, a road loop. So the road loop, you always have more time. 
it's just because the trail loop's not super easy. So it would be very difficult in the dark over and over again. Um, but you have about, I was having 13 minutes between laps this, this year. Um, and I made it more of a routine. Whereas last year, I didn't really know what I was doing. I would like maybe try to sleep or figure it out and maybe not sleep each time. This time I was like, lay down and then take care of what you need to take care of. Um, and I was pretty tired each time. I don't know if I was actually falling asleep, but my crew person, Gina, she was like, it doesn't matter if you are or not, you're resting. So like, that's going to help you. I don't know if that's true, but it seemed like it did. So, so in your, in your backyard race, like start trying to nap the first night. And then, you know, if you, you you're still going the second night, you know, cause there's still someone else pushing you there. Like, that will carry you. I think that little bit of rest will carry you into like the third day. Um, did you train that way at all? Like, were you able to trial that in training? No, I didn't practice yeah. napping. Do you think that is something <laughs> that would work though? Or? I don't know. I almost feel like you need to, well, to run for two, I mean, running for one day is okay, like overnight. Um, running for two is new to me, but I also don't know. I would never do like a two day yeah. training run or two night. It's just, I don't have time and it's too, like too much recovery. Yeah. Would you do, would you train loops though and then take a break and then train loops and take a break? Um, no, I didn't do that this time either. I just kind of would just do my find, training I'm run. I'm trying to find out what to do for February. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you think that would help, like, so last year, um, Greg Salveson and, and his girlfriend, Cassie, they both came and ran and they set up a little backyard event to kind of do a training run. I think they did for 12 hours, they did loops, same thing. And they would practice what they would do between loops. Um, so maybe that could help just to kind of get your routine down and stuff. Um, I just, I was, I kind of knew that I would take the experience I had from last year and then just kind of like do it on race day. Yeah. I, I actually thought it was uh, hilarious. I opened up, the application form after talking to Lars last week. I thought, frigate, I'm going to put an entry in, in there. Um, I think I could only fill in one field, and that was the size <laughs> of my T-shirt. Because <laughs> you had stuff like, you know, what was your quickest, or what was the longest you went in 72 hours? What was your quickest 200 miles? And I was like, oh, yeah. I'm really not going to get into this race unless I win one. I just put an NA for all that, like 72 <laughs> hours. Like... And then 40, 48 was like 200 miles, which, you know, is as far as you're allowed yeah. to go. <laughs> it's, it's all part of Laz's games too, like, isn't it? He likes those type of application forms. Um, yeah. If you fall over in the first hurdle by not actually filling the thing in, that puts yeah. a lot of people off to begin with. Yeah. That's almost his first filter. He loves a question about what's your greatest non-running athletic achievement. Because he put that that Will was the uh, cricket champion or something in like college or whatever division cricket champion, and everyone's like, why would you put that of all things? He's like, being a you know an athlete at that level proves something, and like you know he has a point. And but I think he also loves the novelty of these like cool achievements. <laughs> going into the race, you focus on visualization and things like that. Like, what was your mindset going into the race? Um. As in, well, like, do you focus on, all right, I'm going to go, I need to get to 250 miles, or do you think I'm going yeah, to win this race? Yeah, I didn't have a goal. Yeah, that, I had to, you had to think that if you, if you want to stay there, yeah. <laughs> that was my only goal. <laughs> do you think it's dangerous to have a distance goal going into this race? Yeah, 
It, it definitely is. I mean, obviously getting past where I was last year, getting past 183 is like a cool goal, but like you can just acknowledge it and move on. And then, you know, getting to 300 or whatever, you know, Guillaume was always joking 400 miles or 100 hours. So you have that in your mind and like, that's almost a good safe goal to have <laughs> because if it ever gets there one day, it's going to be like two people having the race of their life yeah. and it's going to be an absolute shit show after going on beyond 400 miles. Like it's going to be nuts. So um, yeah, maybe make your goal like 700 miles <laughs> and you'll be safe. And there'll be a lot of working hours lost as well. Cause there's people at home sitting watching this race and it's like, it's a weird sensation. You go to bed and you wake up and you're like, shit, they're still at it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's how I felt when, when I was watching Guillaume and Harvey, you know, and you're sitting there on Monday and you're like, oh my gosh, they're still going. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I've slept three times. <laughs> like, how are they still going? Your body's always going to be breaking down in there. Do you do sort of predict what's going to happen and what you're going to do in those sort of cases? Like if you think about blisters or you talk about your IT bands, well, I suppose you've already got the likes of stretching and things like that in place um like maintenance must be a key thing this race because you've it's definitely an ultra race isn't it an ultra race you've got time to fix it mm -hmm. yeah that's true i mean so just like in a running race you know running and eating part is like part of the race is also what you do in those breaks that you have is just as important as how you run the loop um so yeah i was trying to be more productive in the time that i had between loops by doing like just what you said like you know, stretching and um, if I had any feet issues to address them immediately, not let them get out of control. And how instrumental was your crew in that, helping that? Oh, I wouldn't have made it that far without them. Like I went into it, you know, with my own mindset, but like it, they made it so like stress-free um, because they were just so, I mean, my biggest thing is when I come back and everything's just like everywhere and it's just chaos and you're just stressed about finding what you need and then you forget what you're looking for and you go do something else and like they were so organized they they were like surgeons working like and i had my friend Jean, jen and gina come and they were crewing um for me and amelia and then um amelia ended up dropping at like 112 and so then i had jen and gina and then another friend's crew member joined us and lang so they were like I mean, I was like, you guys should be professional crew. Like, this is insane. Um, so I had my breaks down and we had like our system and routine every time. And it was amazing. Like, just such, it's like, it was such a great experience from beginning to end because of them. Um, it's so important for them to understand what you're going through, isn't it? Like, cause I crewed for somebody at last one standing last year. I actually got my mum to make, it, make a huge pot of vegetable soup for about 40 mm -hmm. people and brought it into the end of the race not the end of the race sorry in the middle of the race um because you know you're running you know how much warm soup especially homemade soup is going to feel for yeah. you like yeah one thing i recognized was when the guys came in you know when i arrived um to help support the crew the first loop i stole his time and i realized straight away I went shit i shouldn't have spoken to him that long <laughs> Because you don't have that much time when you come yeah. in. So it's important for the crew to be in tune to exactly what you need. So especially mm -hmm. if somebody is familiar with that type of race themselves and knows what's, what you're going through, that must be key to being successful in that as well. Yeah, well, Gina, I asked Gina originally just to be my crew person, and then she brought along Jen because Amelia didn't have anyone. So 
Um, I asked Gina because I knew she'd crewed before and I knew she had experience doing like really long, crazy ultras. Um, so she had really good advice on sleep deprivation, um, and how to deal with that. And then she'd crewed bigs like five times and she was there last year. She was the only one there when I turned around on my loop and I had to hand my time timing chip in, she was kind of helping out Mike Melton. So, you know, she gave me a hug and then I was like, you know, makes sense to you come crew. Um, so yeah, she, and she's done like, well, there was like this whole thing about running one mile every hour on the hour for a thousand hours, but she did it for a hundred. Um, so she was like really into those micro naps and she's done like, you know, 90 hour, hundred something hour races. So, um, yeah, that was helpful. And what about other people's crew? Were they helpful or were they throwing negative jibes towards you? And cause it's such a mental thing that goes on, isn't it? I love actually this, this, this year was the first year I'd crewed for somebody and actually sat and watched the race right the way through. And it was hilarious. The mind games that were going on and the fun at the side and how you could see it was such a big charade that was going on in the race. Does that happen out on course as well between each of the runners? Um, I mean, not too much. I think, I mean, I ran a lot by myself this year. Um, I mean, Dave Proctor would tell me how great he felt and show up at the line eating a caramel apple, which is a weird, interesting race route choice. But, you know, he was running pretty quick laps and said he was getting really great naps in and all that. So, yeah, he's probably messing <laughs> a little bit. But no one really, like, puts you down or tries to, like, yeah. really mess with you, I don't think. Um, and then everyone's crews. Um I know that last year when I dropped out um, and then I kind of, you know, me and Courtney were sharing a tent. So I kind of joined her crew with Kevin. Um, you do get kind of more secretive about what goes on in the tent and you don't want to give up information to how if they're doing badly or how they're doing. Like we were right next to Johan last year when it was just them two left and we could hear Johan snoring and me and Kevin looked at each other very disturbed. <laughs> like he's actually sleeping. Damn it. Because Courtney wasn't. She was trying, but. She was exhausted, so um, that kind of, you know, it, it, you, you, get, you know a little more probably than the runners do. Um, but all the crews, when you would run in and out, they were so supportive and, like, everyone was cheering for everyone. No one was, like, booing Will or me or anybody. <laughs> like, it's it such, cool. it's such a festival running, though, isn't it? Like, it's a celebration. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. And, like, everyone's, you know, it's a, weird, it's a weird dynamic, you know, you're running against someone, you want them to kind of fail, you need them to fail so you can succeed, but you also need them to succeed so you can, like, it's just weird. I'm guessing, like, the first half of the race, there seems to be a lot of camaraderie, you know, everybody starts the race at the same time, doesn't matter how fast or slow you are, and I know the one I watched, you know, there's a lot of people were supporting each other. When does it get serious? Um... Well, I think that third day when you look around and you're like, well, there's four of us. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I want, I was like, come on, let's, I really wanted to get beyond 300. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you don't want them to fade. Um, you want to keep going. I really wanted Katie to be there with me at the end. And when she dropped, I was sad. And, um, but yeah, when it gets down to two, you're like, this is it. <laughs> this is like, this is like the, the race that everyone gets like, okay, it's two left. Who's going to be? <laughs> And that's that's pretty cool then as well because you you're obviously running a PB maybe in distance as well so you almost there's a two two things are going on there you sort of want to win the race but you also want to hit mm -hmm. a good target as well so you don't want mm -hmm. somebody dropping out 
because your distance is going to be determined by the other person. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why at, uh, I think right after Dave dropped and Will wasn't looking so good, I told Guillaume that you, you got to do something. You got to, this can't end yet. And he's like, I got it. And so he talked to Will. And then the next thing I know, he's crewing him. So he kept him <laughs> in there, him and Andy Pearson, and kind of jumped in and helped their crew. Um, so they kept him going. And, and then he had, well, I heard that he did a Dirt Church podcast. I was, Will had said that he basically just turned over, and his his blog was great. Um, he just turned over the decision to, I'm just running. I'm just going to run until I really don't make the lap or whatever happens. I fall down and collapse. <laughs> he wasn't going to quit. Yeah, so what was that like when you found out that you actually won the race? Because it wasn't, it's a bit unusually, unusual. Normally the last person goes out and finishes a loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you have to finish one more loop than the other person. So um, since Will didn't finish that loop, I was like, wait, I don't have to run. Um, I was ready to run. I was like, you know, I was like, I thought, well, I didn't realize he wasn't even in until that 30 seconds started counting down uh, or maybe a minute or something. And I was like, oh, no, you know, and then after, you know, it ended, I was like, well, okay, this does mean you won. And you ran 250 miles. It's still good, um, and you don't have to run again. So, well, you, obviously, you ecstatic and like winning the race. Was an element of disappointment there as well that you weren't going to get more distance? Oh uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, I, I definitely was like in the mindset to go, and I was excited for the road. You know, just to go to a third night, which I was ex- kind of curious about because. Everyone says third night is really rough. So I really wanted that experience. I mean, I'd already run that far. I might as well just check it out. Um, but, I mean, I wanted to win too, so it was exciting. But I was also worried about where the hell is Will <laughs> because he had looked really good during the loop. Like, I saw him right behind me. I had fallen, and I was, like, trying to, like, gather myself, and he's right behind me. And so I thought he was doing fine, and then I was like, that's so weird. Um but it was raining really hard and it was dark. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, he, and he was, he ended up disoriented. So, I mean, you know, it could have happened to either of us, literally. That's, that's it. And the, the thing about this, what, if it goes wrong on any loop, it could go wrong at, at my lady mm-hmm. and you could be out of this race. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. found it was very difficult to tell actually um, the one that I'd watched here. Um, there was, two particular guys i had one he was definitely out he looked terrible he was hanging on behind everybody else um his name was actually andy pearson as well he was also yeah at bigs this year so the guy from yep. england yep i'm so sorry andy you didn't look as bad as i made it sound there um <laughs> i just but he was hanging back whereas there's a couple of guys up front i thought they are going to go forever here but one of them dropped out straight away. He looked fresh as a daisy, whereas Andy Pearson just kept going and going and going. Mm-hmm. Um, and he took a guy called Peter Cromie right to the end. But you couldn't mm-hmm. tell from looking at them at all who's going to go and who isn't going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's the thing, too, is like you can't just you just got to focus on your own self and your own race and just keep going and not worry about like what that looks like you know, what it means, this guy looks great, this guy looks terrible. And like, you know, two laps before I, uh, you know, uh, we lost Dave Proctor, he's like, it's going to be you and me. He's like, Will's dropping soon. Uh, You know, his crew's packing up. He doesn't look very good. 
And then two laps later, Dave's gone and Will's the last one. So you never know. <laughs> what was the first thing Lars said to you when you finished? Because um, he must have been delighted. I don't remember. I don't know. There's like a video of it. Um, I'm sure. I, I think I was still wondering where Will was. But yeah, I asked him if I had to run again. And he was like, no. <laughs> he, he must have been delighted, though, to see a woman... Because I know deep down the yeah. Barkley, and he sort of gives jabs about the Barkley. He would love a woman to see, mm -hmm. he would love to see a woman sort of win that race, wouldn't he? Yeah, well, he told me, you know, and he's told a lot of people, but like he said at Barkley this past year, like we were talking about Biggs, and he was saying he'd give anything to see a woman win that. And I think that that's what I told him when I was done. I was like, remember you said that? Like I said, that's what clicked in my head after Barkley. Since I had such a terrible Barkley, I was like. Wow, I sure didn't prove myself that I belong here. So I was like, all right, I'm going to focus on bigs and I'm going to win that. And then I'll, sh I'll give Laz, you know, the woman victory that he wanted and then we'll move on. Because <laughs> I, I seen the Innovate video that was released the other day about the Barkley and it was Nikki Spinks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and you could see Laz was disappointed when she came back. Yeah. You know, he goes like, ah, I was told you were unbreakable. <laughs> and it was, it was Luke too. Mm -hmm. was it, it was last year. Yeah, yeah. You said you had a bad Barkley for the weather. Her and Stephanie Case went out. I don't know if Nikki turned around before Stephanie, but they were together. Um, they did really well. Stephanie did amazing. Um, and I think that was the last, only other two women to go out on Luke too. Like, I barely made it in time. Uh, we, me and... Zach and Gritch finished the lap, but we had like four minutes to spare. And so they went back out and everyone ended up coming back hypothermic because like we, everyone was wet, but then it got colder and colder and um, the, the weather was just atrocious. Like, um, but uh, yeah, she's strong. Uh, she was pretty serious the whole time too. I think I, we, I was with Stephanie and her a little bit and some other people, uh, but she was like very, very serious the whole time. So... <laughs> The weather was horrendous though, wasn't it? Like it was like 20 degrees during the day. Yeah, yeah, warm. And then when that weather front came in, it sort of hit like minus five. The temperature swings like that are hard too. And then last year it was cold the whole time, but it was like pouring rain. So yeah, I mean, you just expect crappy so weather. What, what's been happening over this last year is like, it's been interesting. You've seen it grow, um, female ultra runners, like, is it just a self-belief or is it like they're just getting more into the race now? Because um, women can suffer. I'm mostly mm -hmm. wrong to say this, like, but women can suffer better than men. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what some say. <laughs> yeah. Some say, well, a lot of women can suffer a lot better than I can anyway. I can speak for yeah. myself if nobody else. Like, um, But you've been seeing it just grow and grow over the last couple of years. What do you think the reason for that is? It's just more and more women coming into the sport. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, like, actual numbers. I know that a lot of American trail races here, um, there's a lot more men than women, especially the longer distances. You, know, you can go to, like, a 15K, and it's pretty equal. Um, but then you get to, like, 100K, and there's no line for the women's bathroom. And the guys, it's like, you know. Um, so, you know, and same with the Barkley. There's still, like, 25% women at most that start the Barkley. Um, and then, the, you know, um, I don't know if there's more women, maybe there's, you know, I think a lot of women are pushing boundaries more and then maybe that makes other women go, okay, I think I can do this or, or whatever. Um, it, it's like, 
uh, I think one of my friends said this once about a world record. Like you have a, a world record that stands for a long time and then someone breaks it and then it just kind of creates this cycle of, oh, wait, this can be broken and then it's broken again and again and the boundary is pushed farther. And like, um, so maybe it's kind of an effect like that. Yeah, like Roger, Roger Bannister, the four minute mile. So it could never mm -hmm. be broken. Physically, it wasn't possible for human beings to do it. Now, 20,000 students have broken the four minute mile. So as soon as yeah. he broke it, it just started mm -hmm. falling for everybody after that. Right. And like, maybe will it be like that for a sub two hour marathon? Yeah. Like, who knows? Like, you know, obviously the, the barrier is broken, but with, you know, certain conditions, but mm -hmm. like how long until someone just figures out how to do that in a normal race or whatever, uh, without the without the shoes without the paper <laughs> i was gonna say that. <laughs> or maybe we'll get better shoes i don't know <laughs> when do you think a woman's gonna break beat the barclay do you think it'd be a good idea for there's such a strong field going into these races now um to actually the girls to get together to beat Laz? <laughs> so i don't know um i'm gonna predict in the next four years there'll be a woman finisher um yeah what what do you think that would take do you think weather is a huge the last two years has been horrendous the weather yeah uh okay all i can say and i don't know who's gonna start to attempt there's some people who have attempted that i don't know if they're making it a project that i think are capable of finishing i'm willing to make it a project i've already decided i'm just going to keep going as long as he lets me in um or until i decide like i just it's not going to happen but um for me because I'm not a superhuman Jared Campbell. I'm not as great an athlete as John Kelly, like in the speed department. Um, I'm not a super great descender like Jamil Curry, who I know he can finish. He just has to put it together. Um, I need perfect weather, <laughs> I think. You know, um, the year John Feggy, you know, he's like the people's champion, you know. Um, John, who finished with like... Uh, you know, Feggy, Fegaverisi, I'm slaughtering his last name, um, but he finished just with like a wooden stick he found with like a few minutes to spare, but the weather was great. Uh, he also knew the course and did his homework, yeah. but um, like something like that for me, I think I need pretty good conditions. I'm not going to give up and like write it off if it's crappy, but you need a lot of things to go your, your way. Um, to get a finish for most people. You used the word project there. Like, is is that yeah. the key to the Barclay, is taking the learning and taking the learning and sort of getting back as much as you can? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so there's people who, like Jared Campbell, who finished on their first try. Um, they're fast enough to follow a guy that knows how, where to go, and then Jared just knows the course and is strong. But then there's Andrew Thompson, who took 10 times to finish. So... Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, obviously I'm not going to finish on my first try. This is I've tried twice and got one lap each time. So, um, yeah, it, you know, I can't, I didn't go into it expecting to. Yeah. Was just, was that the last two years it. then that you were, it was 2017 mm -hmm. and 18, the two bad, yeah. two bad weather years. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm actually doing the Barkley Classic this year. Oh, okay. Um, I'm signed up as well. Yeah, so I know I'm not going to be on your heels, but what's, what do you think a Barclay virgin, for a better word, um, yeah. is the best strategy? Because you don't really, 
like in my mind, I'm going to try and be as fit as I can going into the race and then hook up to somebody that knows what they're doing. Yeah, that's a good plan. Someone who's consistent, like, um, you know, someone who is about your speed, but knows where they're going. Um, I mean, obviously study the course. Um, if you can get on the trails before there and kind of just get your, your bearings about you in the park, um, that'll help. But they do take you on a lot of roads and stuff there. So if you can just kind of look at a map of the roads for the fall classic, you'd be okay. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely it helps to, to be with someone and don't, yeah, there, I, we, we got to the top of bird mountain and everyone went every which direction and you're just like, Oh, I don't know. <laughs> so you're in it this year again. What dates that March? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's typically April Fool's weekend, so oh, yeah, we'll that's see. Right. He's moved it around before, but but we'll see. <laughs> um, you've never been given number one? No. <laughs> Tell me, have you seen the guy walking past with number one? Um, have you seen that person? Well, last year it was Tim Hardy again, I think. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> yeah. he was a sacrificial virgin other years. And then the year before that, it was Kaz Williams, who's a really great runner. Um, I think Laz was maybe not aware of all her accomplishments, but she made a whole loop as well. So she did really well. Yeah. A friend of mine actually did the Barkley this year as well from Northern Ireland. Um, <laughs> he was saying there amongst all these good runners, he was actually worried yeah. about getting his number. You know, it, oh, no. it creates that yeah. mentality of, mm, I hope it's not me. <laughs> Amelia Boone thought it was going to be her the year <laughs> we ran. I was like, it's not. Um, yeah. Hilarious. Well, I mean, I hope that Ian Keith will come back uh, next year. I know that I think he was injured or kind of nursing an injury this past year, which is why he didn't make it. Yeah, um, but he came third in UTMB in his age group this year. Yeah, he's so strong. So, like, that's another thing is, like, you know, I feel like Ian is one of those guys who's strong enough with the, with the good navigational skills to kind yeah. of, like, to, to do it. Um, he was so strong. Um and uh the course changed a lot so you know it sucks missing a year but um yeah i hope he comes back yeah he actually we actually did a podcast with him when he came back um he actually broke his collarbone i think i know I remember. yeah he is in a lot of pain um at the same time i was like not realizing how bad it really was because he is pretty good at like kind of <laughs> keeping it you yeah. know I mean, uh, he dragged himself through a whole lap with a broken collarbone. is incredible. <laughs> but as the motto said that year, help's not coming. No, right. <laughs> so you haven't got much. You haven't got much choice in the matter when you're doing that. Yeah. Race. Like, yeah. So, the longer races is where it's at for you at the minute. That mental aspect. Do you like getting into that dark, deep, dark place and sort of getting that growth? Do you think that you get a shift in your mental strength mm -hmm. the more you push through that yeah well i like yeah it's nice to see how you can um like combat that and kind of deal with it whereas like you know sometimes you hit that spot and you're disappointed with how you dealt with it and you kind of turn into a pity party and you just <laughs> give up or something <laughs> like um it's 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 not easy but like it's cool to like you know, be like, oh, I, I made it beyond that. And then it helps you in your regular life. Be like, oh, you know, I can make it through this day of work. Do you think, <laughs> do you, 
I did this in my weekend. As you said, like 2009. Do you think it has grown and developed you as a person? I hope so. <laughs> it's putting a lot of time into it. Uh, I mean, I... But I mean, even from how you deal and manage with issues in normal life and... Yeah, I think so. I do I do kind of like approach things and think, oh, well, I got through this. I could do this. Or even training here. I've moved from Pennsylvania to Colorado and we live at elevation now. So... You know, I've, I've learned to be more patient in training just because I'm slower or, you know, I have to adjust my expectations a little bit. And I feel like patience is really not one of my strong points. So um, and patience helps in, in bigs because you can't really run the loop that fast and you're just waiting for something to happen. So I think that helps. What about holding on to your crown then? Like there is such mm -hmm. a huge field in it next year. Does that excite you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely, that would be cool to do like a repeat, you know, and then have like four women in the final four or two women in the final two. Um, and then, you know, be like someone who can, you know, prove that I can do it again. That's not like a fluke or, you know, like to prove that there is like a way to approach it that can, that can work each time. I don't know, but I have no idea. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who knows? Like, would it change your, would it change your gameplay with the people that are in it? Or are you just focused on winning the race? You've, you've, you've taken your learning. You just want to get into that sort of rhythm of habit really, isn't it? Throughout the race. Yeah. You can't think about the other people because on paper, you know, anyone can win. Um, yeah. and anyone will win. <laughs> so, I mean, will, will be back. Katie will be back. Courtney, Johan, all these people have been final two, final four will be back. Yeah, you know, and I think I take it as an opportunity to be like, this is, we could go to 350, 400. Who knows? Like super excited. It's next October, isn't it? I think. Is it next October? Yep. October 17th. Um, talking to Laz, he says he can't wait to see what happens with the names. Like this is going to go on and on. He says like, so yeah, um, fingers crossed it does. Um, yeah, <laughs> you work with Tailwind. What do you do when you enter a race like that? Do you book off two days, three days? You tell them you're out for the week. I may not come back next yeah, month. Yeah, I did. <laughs> well, I had a flight back. Um, what was my flight? I think it was like Wednesday night or afternoon or something. Yeah, it was Wednesday midday. And then I was kind of worried that maybe I should have made it for Thursday or Friday. Um, but my my friend and boss, like she told me, don't come back. She's like, miss your flight. If you need to <laughs> don't come back just to work for two days. Like, um, so yeah, they're supportive, but yeah, I'm going to maybe we may drive next year. My f crew, Gina and Jen said, like, let's drive next year so we can bring what we need and we don't have to worry about flying back on a certain day. So we might do that and I'll just, you know, Block off the whole week. What about that? You're moving now into sort of 200 miles distances as well. Um, did I see you had registered for the Franklin 200? I am. Um, I don't. So now I'm a little worried <laughs> that that might kind of tax me just because of the recovery that I've yeah. experienced for bigs. That might be a little too much recovery for me. Like Courtney did Tahoe 200 and then did really well at bigs. For me, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, so I don't know if I'll do maybe a shorter distance or maybe just forgo it, but, um, it's one of Rob Goyan's races and it's an awesome place. And I love trail racing over Texas races. Um, and it's the last year I think he's doing this. So I really, really want to do it, but I got to think about Barkley. So, um, 
And that terrain is really technical and it tears up your feet. So my feet are still healing after like almost a month. Uh, oh yeah, a month now. Um, so I don't know. I got to think about that. I'd love to do it though. How do you not burn out? You know, you. I have though. <laughs> yeah, I have. So that's why I'm just kind of picking the two great races a year. I'm going to want to pick something in the summer as a goal, either a, a 24 hour team qualifier or I've been trying to see if maybe bad water could work. Um, and one of those, um, just like in the mid, you know, and then my other big, big excitement thing that I'm doing this summer is I'm going to pace Courtney at hard rock. Wow. So I want to be, I want to be in good shape for that. <laughs> that must be amazing. So... Like I was actually in Chamonix when Courtney crossed the finish line. Oh wow. And it was like, I had done CCC and it just absolutely blew my mind. It was, yeah. It was actually, it's such an emotional place to be at the finish line mm -hmm. at UTMB, but to see her come across, yeah, <laughs> you know, she'd been doing so well and you were wondering how well she was going to do. Yeah. Like the energy of that woman coming across the finish line at UTMB was just mind blowing. Yeah. Like, so to get an opportunity to pace her, it's something I'm glad I'm not doing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I was like, I was like, so I was supposed to do her? it this year and it was canceled. And I was really worried because um, like, you know, just in June, I moved here in April and then in June is finally when I started to feel like it clicked a little bit with training, but I was like, oh, she's going to drop me. So I feel like next year I'm going to be like ready for it and I can at least keep up with her for the section that I have to do. <laughs> you must be on cloud nine at the minute, you know, pacing, winning this race, going into the Barclays, Big Dog's Backyard coming up. Yeah, like, wow. um, I get to enjoy the holidays and we have our American Thanksgiving thing coming up, which is just we're going to be relaxed here and eat food and I don't know. And then I think after that, I'll kind of start ramping up the miles again. So I'm excited for that because I've had a nice long break. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Maggie, I am being a bit selfish here because I honestly could sit here and talk to you for about three or four <laughs> hours. Um, but I really appreciate you giving up your time today. Um, I don't really no want to steal any more of it. I know it's early in the morning there on Friday. Good luck with the rest of the year. I've been watching you over the last, I've been watching everybody, obviously, in Biggs and the Barkley. Two of my favorite races that scare the shit out of me, if I'm being honest. Like, um, and yeah. it's great to see everybody doing so well in it. Um, everybody in Ireland is really behind um, the top women in the ultra running scene at the minute. Everybody's got their fingers crossed for somebody in the Barclay to smash it. Like, so it'll yeah. be interesting to see what happens. Um, we wish you all the best and really appreciate Thank you. your time. Thank you so much. Thanks very much for that. Yeah. Thank you. Anyway, um, you've done so many podcasts already. I hope I wasn't <laughs> going too much over old ground. Oh, no. Like, yeah, that was cool. No, I appreciate it. There has been some sort of, um, when I was listening to Laz and I've listened to some of your podcasts as well, there are some key indicators going into last one standing that you can actually pull out some good ingredients to success. Like there's no point going into the mindset, I'm going to do 100 miles. Because mm -hmm. when you come to 100 miles, it's going to be hard to go past that. Mm -hmm. You have to be in that race to win it. Yeah, last says it, you know, as soon as you think you can't win, you're you're out. Yeah. You know? And getting Wh to the starting line. Actually, Will is the exception to that. <laughs> yeah. So I think <laughs> He's just... people need to be picking his brain. And I've listened to a bunch of his podcasts, but I'm going to be honest. Like, I think he is the stronger runner. Imagine Will doing, having a great race. <laughs> this was Will hanging by a thread. Imagine Will, like, not hanging by a thread. October is going to be awesome. And to yeah. see what happens there, like, because nobody has a clue. You can't predict that.
you can yeah, definitely no. not predict what's going to happen. Right. Yep. Maggie, thanks very much. Appreciate Thank you, it. Robbie. Yeah, awesome. That was class. Maggie's an amazing athlete. There's only a matter of time until a woman took the backyard title. And next year is going to be even more exciting as a collection of the world's greatest return to attempt to take the crown from Maggie's clutches. So I wish them luck with that. I wouldn't like to be the one that challenges her. I've got a feeling that it's going to go on for an awful long time. So really looking forward to next October. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Until next week, stay safe and keep on moving.